You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by HuntStand. HuntStand is the number one hunting app in the country, and at only $29.99, HuntStand offers a ton of functionality for hunters all over the country. Whether you own your own property or strictly hunt public, you can choose from over a dozen base maps, view property ownership information, 3D mapping, local weather, log your sightings and harvest, as well as use their trail cam management software, and print maps from your hunt areas. Download it today at the Apple App Store or Google Play. Hunt Stand. Upgrade your arsenal. Mic check, mic check. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Hunting Gear Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and today we have a good old-fashioned BS session with another die-hard whitetail hunter. Um, I've interviewed this guy a lot on other podcasts. Uh, He's a great uh, talk about strategy, tactics, uh, does a lot of writing for some uh, magazine articles, and uh, so... And the dude's been hunting for a very long time. And instead of talking strategy uh, with him, I wanted to pull him onto the Hunting Gear podcast and just kind of get an idea of what he uses, methods he or uh, gear and equipment that he likes. And it's it's no surprise, right? It is no surprise that a lot of guys who are n- not technically in the hunting industry, he does some writing and stuff. People aren't switching their bows out every year. People aren't buying brand new camouflage uh, and these major hunting brands every single year. Uh, They are using equipment like you will hear in this episode that is doing the job and has been doing the job for 20 years for Tom. And uh, and, uh, I don't know. I I just love this. One thing that really frustrates me, and I'm going to say this, but at the same time I'm talking on the out the other side of my mouth about hunting gear and equipment because I do have sponsors that help promote uh, the you know that help support the the Nine Finger Chronicles, the Hunting Gear Podcast, and the Sportsman's Nation Network as a whole. And these are all great brands, um, but but it it really is it's almost cool to see a guy use a bow that he's shot for twenty years, damn near twenty years. And uh, and become successful every year. Where the industry says things like, "Hey, man, in order to kill a deer, you got to upgrade. You got to upgrade. You got to upgrade." Uh, and I know that helps the hunting industry and hunting uh, the hunting business kind of 
stay afloat and all those things. But at the same time, we're all starting to realize you can get the job done without having to upgrade your equipment every single year. And you can also get the job done by maybe going outside of hunting brands, period. Go online to Amazon. We got L.L. Bean. We got uh, um, Eddie Bauer. We got like traditionally companies that don't aggressively advertise in the in the hunting space. So um, really good conversation with Tom Piplinski today. Uh, like I said, I've had him on several times before. And here is here's me talking out of the other side of my mouth. And one thing that I want to do real quick, and I, God, I just had it, but now I lost it. Oh, there it is. All right. So the one th- the the one thing I have to say is, you know, from a from a business standpoint, I sell advertising on all of the podcasts to get people to you know support it. I make my living. I get to turn around and put that money back into the podcasts uh, and make the the content very interesting for you guys, a uh, quality content as well. So I, I I sell advertising space. That's how it works. And now is when I do the advertising. Right. I, I always do a little block. And this is kind of a little insider type stuff anyway. But one of the first companies that started this, we're building conservation. I, I really dig this about this company. They're building conversa- uh, conservation into their budget. So there's a, an apparel or a lifestyle brand called The Average Conservationist, theaverageconservationist.com. And it, it's a lifestyle brand. It's an apparel brand. And these guys are killing it. In the t- they they have some awesome T-shirts. Uh, I, one of my favorites is the Euro T T-shirt. They have a couple awesome camo hoodies. They're they have some really sweet hats, man. All all really good, high quality stuff. But what makes it awesome, and I wish a lot of other brands would do this. Maybe not ten percent of their company, but the average conservationist, right off the top of their annual income, gives ten percent of their income to some form of a, a conservation effort. That's big. That's huge. And if more companies and businesses would do that, just imagine all of the, you know, cause dollars talk, right? Just imagine the voice that we would have with those dollar, you know, with that, those dollars, uh, how far it all c- kind of could go in a, I don't know, in, a, in some kind of, you know, if all these companies gave all this money to the, 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 the Deer Association or out west to the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation or um, uh, the Mule Deer Foundation, like you talk about projects, you talk about getting land and, and opening up more opportunities for hunters across the U.S. It's things like this that make, make that needle move. So a huge kudos to the average conservationist. And on top of that, they have a badass podcast right here on the Sportsman's Nation. Uh, so check that out as well, theaverageconservationist.com. And uh, I thought I had a discount code for them. I know I do. I think it's uh, – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that real quick. It is NFC10, NFC10 uh, at checkout, and you can save 10% off of your purchase. Now – the next one is probably these next two actually are probably some of the most used hunting gear that I go through in a year. And uh, number one is Hunt Stand. 
Uh, it is a digital mapping hunting app that you download to your phone. It's free to download and then to upgrade for an entire year, it's only 30 bucks for an entire year. And the functionality that comes from this map, it allows you to digitally scout anywhere in the United States. It allows you to bounce back and forth between a map that could just be satellite imagery, a map that is uh, uh, strictly topographic, uh, 3D, a whole bunch of different base maps to choose from uh, where you can get on there and you can just digital scout. You can, let's say you're hunting and a deer jumps the fence uh, onto private ground. Some states say you can't go you know, from public to private without getting landowner permission first. Pull up Hunt Stand, find the find the app, and uh, or find the landowner with the landowner. You know, the, the landowner map, and call them up. Say, hey, shot a deer, then go get it. There's so the the functionality there is endless with uh, Hunt Stand. So what I always recommend is going to HuntStand.com and uh, just read about all the functionality they have. Uh, tools they have trail camera um, like a, a trail camera strategy portion where you can save uh, and document trail camera photos it, it's basically a walking journal of all your hunting adventures so uh, take a look at that huntstand.com and or if you want to download it go to google uh, google play or anywhere you download your uh, apps and the next is another product that i use absolutely all the time and that is lone wolf portable tree stands lone wolf hunting gear or excuse me, lonewolfhuntingproducts.com. And uh, I am a run and gun guy. I don't set very many stands that are, how do I put this, that are in the same spot the next day. I, I run and gun. I set up, I tear down, set up, tear down, set up, tear down. I do that a lot. Don't get me wrong, I do have some stands that I leave in historically good rut locations, but I'm on the move, right? And Lone Wolf allows me to do that more efficiently quietly uh it's just the the functionality of this particular product is endless because you can go sit in any tree you want to right uh within reason right you can sit in a crooked tree and the stand will balance itself based off its design right you can move it over a little bit you can adjust the seat you can adjust the platform to level it out so you're not sitting crooked in a tree putting you in the absolute right position to uh, draw back on that deer of a lifetime compared to a close enough spot you're in the right spot so go check out the uh, the assault the alpha their climber they have a whole bunch of different uh, products you can check out uh, especially you know they even have some gear and some pretty cool apparel there as well uh, lonewolfhuntingproducts.com and if you want to save $50 off all purchases over $200 you can enter the discount code 9FC21 9FC21 and you will be able to save $50 off of a purchase of a tree stand or a of the climbing stick so there's that all right commercials are over that means it's time to get into today's bs session about gear with my buddy tom peplinski all right on the phone with me today mr tom peplinski tom how we doing man i'm doing great how about you dan doing good uh tom here is another iowa native and uh he has joined me several times on the iowa podcast uh that that i host and uh, But today, I wanted to get his opinion, I want to get your opinion, Tom, 
on the hunting gear and equipment that you use. And this is kind of going to be a BS session where we kind of talk a little bit about everything. Um, and there's several different topics to talk about and approaches to hunting gear and equipment. And I, I don't know, do you have a specific approach? Do you have, uh, are you brand loyal? Are you uh, whatever works kind of guy? What's your, what's your outlook on gear? Uh, definitely not brand loyal. I, I definitely more of the value shopper kind of person. I don't, a lot of my equipment, some, I guess some hunters would say I have really good equipment, but in today's day and age, I would definitely put myself not in the category of having the best of the best. I, I shop for the best value and the stuff I can get. And I'm kind of a less is more kind of hunter i don't i don't buy a lot of stuff again depends on where you're coming from for reference but i think i'm at least average or below average for hunting gear stuff kind of kind of person okay um so do you do you go out are you the guy who likes to to buy the latest and greatest or do you let uh, your equipment ride for a handful of years oh definitely if it's working, I, I let it ride. Okay. Like my bow, I think my bow is probably a 2010. Uh, my site is 2010. Um, I just bought a new game camera this year, but I have like 15 or 16 game cameras. So I have old and then obviously I just got a new one, but if, if it's working, I don't fix it. I just, if I, if I'm having success with what I have, I don't upgrade. Yeah. Hey, out of curiosity, what bow are you currently shooting? That's like what, 11 a, years old? I have a, it's, it's a PSE, PSE, uh, X-Force. Okay. Okay. Yep. Um, and I mean, obviously it, it, it works for you and you know what? I'll be honest with you. I think people change out their bows. I mean, obviously the the marketing from the company says hey you got to change your bow out every year you got to get the latest and greatest that's what they want that's what keeps the lights on on some of these businesses but i think when it comes to accuracy guys you know there's some guys that put a lot into tuning their bows but i think other guys just kind of um you know that they switch their bow out every year but they don't put a full year of getting it tuned and getting comfortable with it before they get their new bow and like for me I get better every year I have that particular bow. Well, when I got my bow, I absolutely loved it. So I had I had some Hoyts before that. Um, oh, I don't even know what I had before the Hoyt. Uh, but when I got this PSC, I loved it. And I've been shooting it so long, and I'm so comfortable with it. I know where it breaks. Um, I know where the... You know, like when I'm anchored, I just, I know where it's going to let off. I'm just so comfortable with it that I probably need to practice less with that bow than any other bow that I've ever shot in my life. And I'm still like dead on 35 yards and in. I, I mean, I am so confident 35 yards and in that I just, I don't see a need. I don't, yeah. and, and to, in my mind, if there was a, if there was like a substantial step change between that bow that I have and a new one, I would consider it, but I don't. I don't see it. I don't see that there's a that there's like a step change of fifty feet per second, or or something that would say you know spend a thousand dollars and go out and get this 
this upgrade. Right. Yeah, it that's that's crazy because I had a guy tell me, although the materials may change, if you look at all the bows throughout the years on paper, just paper alone, th- there might be a slight step up in speed. Um, but, you know, and every year a new bow comes out, the axle axles change to follow trends. But if you look at all that on paper, that the numbers pretty much stay the same. There's nothing like completely groundbreaking every single year. It's just tweaks to old designs basically. And, um, yeah. Yeah. So it, it kind of blows my mind that people are like, Oh, this bow is so crazy. Now feel is something that you can't, you can't put on paper. So I bet you would be completely blown away if you pulled up a, um, some PSE now from you know the the 2021 model of PSE uh, and shot it compared to your 2010 PSE. I, I bet you the feel would be completely different. Yeah, and, and there's no doubt because my son shoots uh, Matthews and it's it's I think last year's he bought it new last year and we have the same draw length. Uh, last year we were actually practicing together quite a bit for an Idaho elk hunt. And we found that we could actually shoot each other's bows relatively, relatively the same. I mean, it was really close. Yeah. And there's no doubt that that his new Matthews was smoother, probably quieter. But but again, it's all it's all relative to to what you spend your money on. Right. So if if I had like unlimited funds, then yeah, okay, I could upgrade a, a bow every two, three years or five years, but I would rather, if you would ask any money, anybody, what I spend on hunting, it's probably above most people. What I actually spend on hunting, it's just not on equipment because I'd rather spend that money on something else. Yeah. Yeah. So every single year, you know, uh, hunters like us, guys who are pretty much 365, um, bow hunting, whether it's muzzle loaders or guns or stuff like that, where would you say you spend a majority of your, if you have a budget or, or the dollar amount, uh, that you have set aside for hunting, um, what, where does your money, the majority of your money go to every year that's allocated towards hunting and hunting gear and equipment? So not even, not even, not even close. It would be, um, Habitat, food plot, and then like habitat tools. Um, so like chainsaw, pruning, pruning saw, uh, stuff like that. I did buy a new Polaris Ranger here a couple years ago. If you can count that as hunting equipment, yeah. Um, just for like spraying for spraying food plots and stuff. I just wanted. Um, I had an old Polaris Ranger. It was like a 2000, and it was two wheel drive, and it was just starting to fail on me more than I could count on it. But the majority, like there's not even a close second. Yeah. Um, number one would be habitat type stuff. And then I, I'm i probably average when it comes to game cameras, but I do spend a fair amount of money every year on batteries and SD cards. And it seems like every year I get one new camera because one or new two cameras because it seems like one or two like failed. Yeah. They were five or six or seven years old. So I'm always, it seems like I'm always trying to add one or two game cameras just to make sure I have around that 15 number. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so, uh, equipment like that. So I'm pretty like, uh, in the other podcasts we talk like me and you are almost complete 
opposite sides of the spectrum, right? I don't have the ability uh, to do any food plot or habitat management. You own your own property and I think you lease, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you have, you have that as well. Um, How much, like how much life do you get out of a chainsaw? Just out of curiosity. Uh, So I have a, a, an old steel O34 AV. So any, any guys that have cut a lot of firewood are probably knowing what that number is. And I bought that when I graduated from high school. Oh, wow. So it's so still I've going. had that for forever. Yeah, but we were doing some hinge cutting here in 2012. And the reason why I know that is that I bought a farm down here in southern Iowa in 2012. And I only had that one chainsaw. So I bought a really small steel. I think it's an 071 or an 070. It's a small one. It's a lot of plastic on it and stuff, but it's really light and everything. And I've had that ever since. And actually, that's that's my go-to chainsaw now for shooting lanes and hinge cutting. And, and that was, what, $170? Yeah. You know, it's going on 10 years, so it, it's supposed to be kind of like a throwaway chainsaw. But if you kind of take care of some of that stuff, yeah. it really will last you forever. Right. Right. Um, do you happen to have like one piece of equipment that I, uh, that I have currently is one of those, uh, it's an, uh, extendable pole saw, right? I can stretch it out and I can trim shooting lanes with it and whatnot, but I, I want one of those power, like it, some are electric, some are gas, but it's basically a mini chainsaw on the end of a long stick. Have you seen those? And do you have one? Oh, I, yeah, I wish I had one. I know exactly what you're talking about. That would be on my wish list. Yeah. I have I have just the manual one. And by the end of by the end of spring when I'm done with, with all my uh tree stands, so that's that's typically what I'll do is like late winter, spring, I'm going to every single tree stand and I'm doing redoing all the shooting lanes or I'm maybe hanging new sets. And every year I say I'm going to get one of those and I don't cuz I'm too cheap, but Yeah. Um, if you have, if you have the money, you know, go for it. I have a 16 foot, I think it's a Fiskars. Uh, and I love it. It works good, but it's, it can get, it can be a pain when you're trying to cut off a hedge apple branch yeah, 10 feet up and it's four, inch, four inches around. Yeah. So yeah, those hardwoods will definitely get to you. Yeah. All right. So you mentioned something about a lease, um, out of curiosity, how much money do you spend on your lease every year? So I'm going to give you a long version because I I don't lease a lot of land. I lease one farm. Okay. And then everything else, everything I else, I I either own or have permission. Like a lot of the, a lot of my neighbors, I have permission, and it's it's one of these you scratch my back, I scratch yours. You know, I'll do some electrical work for you or. Um, cause that's, I used to be an electrician back in the day, helping buddies or I'll out. help on the farm, you know? Yeah. And then, yeah. and then, you know, can I walk across your 80 or, you know, can I hunt your cow pasture type of thing? Um, the lease that I have is a little over 300 acres and I pay 3000. So it's, it's $10 an acre. And I'm willing to do that because I, I put hunters on that property. Okay. So you, you, yeah. you make a profit out off of that, correct? Then? Yes. Okay. Yes. Out of curiosity, I, I, I know, try to. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. So out of curiosity, I, I, I do have a question for you. Um, when, it comes to, when it comes to leasing ground, 
Uh, I know this in the hunting gear and equipment, it's not necessarily gear. It's not necessarily equipment, but it's money that people pay to go and hunt out of out of curiosity. And this is pretty much just for me. And I, and I know you're um, you're down there in southeast Iowa, which is the me- or, you know, south, southern Iowa, which is like the Mecca of uh, of the whitetail world. What what can people expect to pay for a lease per acre? I think I think that ten dollar range is probably average. And the farm that I have, uh, it's a great farm, but I'm probably getting it for ten dollars an acre because to to make it great, to make it a really good farm, required a lot of work from me. And it's and it still requires a lot of work from me. I'm surrounded by a lot of CRP. I'm surrounded by from by a lot of cow pasture. The tillable ground on that farm is all in CRP, so I'm I'm having to go over there and put in, you know, two three acres, four acres of food plots every year. Uh, hang all my own tree stands, cut my uh, entrance and exit routes. So there was a lot of work that had to go into that. And again, this is this is for selling hunts on yeah so it's not like i could just lease that throw up three tree stands and and then say you know have at her yeah so i i try to put a good a good quality hunt on now if you had if you had uh where you didn't have to put in food plots and maybe there was more timber uh you're gonna go higher than ten dollars an acre i i know i see stuff online that's 15 20 an acre and i i wouldn't do that as a hunter yeah you know, if it was a 300 acre farm to lease it for six grand, you know, at $20 an acre, but you know, it's all in perspective. Let's say you and a friend didn't, didn't own any land and you didn't fish and you didn't turkey hunt and your passion was just, you know, balls to the wall. You like to deer hunt is $6,000 a year split between two or three guys a lot. Well, I could make an argument. It's not. Yeah. Um, some people, some people probably spend that in the bar yeah. in a year's time. Oh yeah. And that's okay. I'm not, I'm not judging that. I'm just saying it's all, it's all in perspective, you know, and I, and I used to spend a lot of money years ago leasing a big farm with a group of guys. And a lot of people said, you're paying that kind of money. Well, yeah. Cause that was my passion Yeah, and I don't have any regrets doing that. Yeah. No regrets at all doing that. The amount of fun we had. Uh, leasing that because none of us at the time could afford our own land. I have no regrets doing that. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense, man. Um, you know, another, another way people, you, you know, I'll, I'll put it this way in the past, I've always kind of looked past leasing, uh, leasing ground because I felt like I could get enough ground between public and knock on door permission. But now what we're seeing in especially the counties that I hunt, like getting permission to hunt is getting harder and harder and harder, um, especially when uh, in some of the places that I've hunt, I hunt once the, the, the landowner is gone, let's say it's an older person who's died and moved on. Then the, um, then the the kids get it and some of them may not even be in the same state or in the same area so they decide to sell it and when it comes to recreation ground in the state of iowa uh, if a big farmer isn't buying it 
or a big cattle operation isn't buying it, it's going to an out-of-stater for, uh, for hunting. And uh, that can be pretty frustrating for a guy who, you know, uh, who's been hunting that property however many years. I understand that things change and all that stuff. But uh, that's why I have been looking at potentially, you know, leasing some small amount of ground. Yeah, and that's that's the that's the situation we were in years ago. We had we actually we actually never lost our farms, but it was it was such a case that we wanted to take. And, and again, I'm, this is just this is just my preference. This is was our hunting group preference, but we wanted to hunt more mature deer. We wanted to be in an area with less hunting pressure, where we could do more with habitat and quality deer management and that whole spectrum and that required us to move and and find a new clay a new location and ultimately we leased ground yeah um we never we never lost what we had but the the quality of the hunt and i'm defining quality of the hunt by the the mature box that we could hunt was just non-existent the pressure was so high that it was if you saw a two-year-old you were you were that was awesome to see a two-year-old but it was nothing you'd never see anything above that yeah so that's, yeah. that's why we made the switch. Okay. That's good to know. Um, now let's talk about clothing. Um, I just did some YouTube videos that is prob- that, that are probably going to launch in the next week or so um, where I talk about my pants, my layering system, my, you know, my jackets and, and even boots and socks. Do you have a method to like, do you have a layering method? Do you have any type of uh, um special clothing that you like to wear or are you just like a hey man i get it at walmart or i wear carhartts and and that's what i do so it's a, it's probably a combination a little bit of that uh so last year was the first year i upgraded with what i would call like my cold weather gear okay so i i have like what i call warm weather gear and cold weather gear and my warm weather gear is nothing special uh i have a pair of alpha or lacrosse alpha burly uh, rubber boots that I love. Um, again, not brand specific to them. I just, I've always had a pair and I love them. But my cam, I'll wear a, a brown pair of, of jeans yeah. early season. It, I'm just, I, I'm not, when it's warm out, I just, it's, as long as it's comfortable and it doesn't get in the way of my bowl, I'm, I'm good to go. Yeah. But when it gets cold out, it's, it's like you almost have to have some decent stuff or you're going to freeze or you're just, you're just, it's going to be miserable. It's not that you can't do it, but so last year I upgraded and I have some really good base layers that I think I got off of. I think I got them off of Eddie Bauer. Oh yeah. Maybe, I don't know. My, Hey, my but shell the, is Eddie Bauer. My uh, insulation layer yeah. is Eddie Bauer. Yeah, dude. Okay. Yep. And I love those and they're, they're the, it's not Merino wool. It's the synthetic polyester, layers. probably. What's that? Polyester, if I had to guess. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And I love them, and they have—they actually have thumb holes. Yes. So I can pull them over my thumb, which uh, a hunting friend of mine said, "If you're going to get those layers, get the thumb hole ones." And I kind of thought, "Eh." Bingo. But I—I I have them, and I love them because they—they they never go up into my jacket. You know what I mean? They stay down. Yep. And that's what I want them for is cold. And then I also have, and I, I'm going to get some of this wrong maybe, but they, when you get a down jacket, they come like in like a certain fill. Yep. 
And one of my like medium layers is a is a down, and I think it's a five fifty fill. Is that is that making sense to you? Yes, it does. Okay, so it's not heavy, but it's not like really thin. And you can roll that up on a ball. Yeah. You can actually like squish the air out and roll it up in a ball and put it in a Ziploc bag. That's how small it is. But that alone, so that down jacket alone has like changed my life when it comes to late season. You right. know, when it's 10 degrees out, 25 degrees out. So I, I swear by that down jacket. And then, and again, I'm not, I'm not putting a plug, but I did buy, I did buy a first light, uh, white tail. I think it's like the mid season jacket. Okay. And that, that's for my outer layer. Okay. And um, what's and that, that mid layer brand? Because I just. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I'm sorry. Uh, what was that that uh, down jacket? What was the brand of that down jacket? I don't think there was a brand name. I think I, I think that was another um, Eddie Bauer or something where oh, they okay. just had. Um, oh it, no, there was a name for it. It was like uh, something light, down light, or something. Okay. Um, but yeah, it might have been an Eddie, maybe an Eddie Bauer brand or something. I don't know, but they were on sale for like seventy dollars. Okay. And and I love it. That, yeah. To me, that was, as far as hunting clothes, that was the best money I spent in a long time yeah. for hunting clothes was that down jacket. Yeah. And you know what's crazy about that is that down jacket, and did you buy it online? Yeah. Yeah. So that down jacket, well, what do you think you paid for it? Was it under 80 bucks? Yeah, it was like it was it was it was like sixty nine or fifty nine. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you bought that down jacket. It works really well for you. Meanwhile, these hunting brands are probably selling the exact same down jacket for two hundred to three hundred dollars. Yeah, not, that, not, that's not me. I'm yeah. Not, <laughs> <laughs> no, Absolutely. No uh uh-uh. Absolutely. Nope. And I, and the only reason why I bought the first light jacket is that I literally couldn't find one that I liked. Yeah. So I went. I went to a couple stores and I did online and I just I couldn't find anything. Yeah. I just I couldn't find anything with a like a little bit tighter fit on my arms for shooting for archery. Um, so you know that's the other thing. If if it's a gun hunt, you can dress up like a marshmallow, but you can't for archery hunting. You can't do that. No. You just you have to have. Clearance. It's got to be like tight. Yeah. It just has to be. Yeah. And the only way to get tight clothing that's warm is if you pay a little bit more for it. Yeah. Yeah. So, would you agree that price reflects quality? Uh, well, not with that down jacket. Yeah. But with some stuff, it does. With some stuff, it does. But I, you're, you know, I'm I'm probably one of the cheapest guys you'll ever meet when it comes to that stuff. I just <laughs> I I just cringe. Right. I cringe when I have, if I you know a two hundred dollar jacket. I just I'm like no way. Yeah. I just don't want to do it. But this year I had, you know extra money if you want to call it that and i'm like i'm done being cold on stand so i i kind of let it snap so to so to speak and then the other the other thing i swear by is and i don't know i don't know what brand these are i think maybe arctic shield i don't even know if arctic shield exists anymore but these these like really thin boot blankets they're called yes and i can work yeah and i wear yeah and i wear those over my thin uh boots my thin rubber boots and I can, my daughter and I late muzzleloader hunted last year and she had on like some really nice pack boots that were insulated, you know, all this stuff. And I wore the uninsulated rubber boots with those boot blankets 
and her feet were freezing and mine were like I was playing a game of basketball. Right. So I swear I've been using those I've been using those as long as I can remember. Yeah. I've been using a pair of boot blankets. Yeah. So I used to fall under your daughter's category, I would say three years ago, four years ago, where I would wear a big pair of Alpha Burley Pros, lots of insulation, and then I would put um you know merino wool socks in there maybe even two layers then you know maybe even stuff some hand warmers in there and none of it would ever work so i i I do some research i hear some guys talking about those arctic shields now i wear my hiking boots to the stand with like a, a decent sock and then i put those boot covers over top of it and we are set like if my feet go get cold i'm done Right. I, I go to the, I go back to the truck. I'm, I don't mess around with that anymore, but with these boot covers, man, I've stayed in the, it is, it is the product that I would recommend most to any people who hunt in cold weather anywhere in the United States. It is probably, you know, I hate to say it, probably one of the best purchases I've ever made when it uh, comes to hunting gear and equipment. Yeah. And, and they're, and the reason why they're so good is, is for me, a lot of my spots, I have to walk mm-hmm. and, and that's by choice. Cause I'm not, I'm not driving a four wheeler to hundred yards. You know, I'm walking a half a mile and it's not that that's far, but when it's 20 degrees out or 15 degrees out and you walk a half a mile and you got to pack on and stuff, your feet are going to sweat. Well, add pack boots to that, like insulated pack boots. So I'm, I'm one of these guys that, if I'm wearing insulated pack boots and I'm walking in a half a mile or three quarters of a mile, you might as well take your shoes off and change your socks out, which I used to do back in the day. Yeah. Now I can wear my uninsulated rubber boots in and then put them boot blankets on. The only thing I will say is I don't, I don't know what the Arctic shield makes anymore. I, I really have no idea, but mine are Velcro. Okay. They like, uh, they have like a b- bunch of Velcro things on top. And I was actually thinking about upgrading not because they don't work, but I was going to try and find something with it, like either like one lace or like a zipper in the back or something. Yeah, I just, the, I don't like that Velcro. It's just yeah. it's awfully noisy. Yeah, my, I, mine are zippers. Yeah. Mine have zippers on the back of them, and they're very quiet. Yeah. See yeah. now, I, I so I, anybody that's that's listening, if you don't get the Velcro, even yeah. though they work, um, they're just especially on an evening hunt when you're getting down, they just are so loud taking them off. Right. Right. Um, yeah. When it comes to camo, like there's a lot of companies out there that say, oh, dude, we have the number one camo. Our camo, you know, deer just look right through you. You know, all the, you've heard it all before, right? Um, yeah. Like, yeah. are you, do you believe in camouflage uh, for a tree stand hunter? I mean, obviously in a ground blind, it probably doesn't make any difference. But when you're in a tree stand, do you feel that camo is um, a key contributor to camo? to staying concealed? No, no, not at all. My, every tree stand I have is either brushed in with uh, cedar branches or, or it's in a big oak tree with a bunch of branches and I'll hang like military surplus netting. Um, so that's, and then making sure that I'm not skyline, Yeah, you know, so I'm, if the deer, with the deer in front of me, I got this big tree trunk behind me. And then not moving and just using good hunting, hunting skills, you know, not moving around and stuff. I don't, 
The only the only thing I'll say is I don't believe in camouflage at all, but I do believe there are colors that are better than others. Yeah. And what I what I mean by that is it sure seems like there's some pretty good research out there right now that deer can see the colors in the blue spectrum yeah. way better than they can your blacks and your browns. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, stay away from blue. Yeah. You know, that. so I know that's not camouflage, but all I say is, you know, don't wear blue jeans, don't wear a blue baseball cap. Uh, I'm so paranoid about it. Like I had some arrows once that had blue fletchings, so I painted them. <laughs> I, didn't want, I didn't want the blue fletchings. That's funny. But, yeah, but but other than that, you know, I you know I don't want to I don't want to cut any of these things down. But camouflage is made for people. Yeah, it's made for you to look at it and say, "Oh, that's cool," and then you buy it. But it's I don't deer don't right. I don't I don't believe deer see camouflage patterns or or yeah. not. Yeah. I just don't believe that. Ninety percent of my Western hunts and my whitetail hunts. So 90% throughout my entire season, I'm in solid colors and in the, in the tree stand specifically, I feel like I get away with more if I'm in a solid color. And I know everybody says, well, camo um, disrupts your outline. Well, you know what? So does the tree I'm leaning up against. And so does the, the branches that are in front of me, right. Or, or behind me or whatever. So I like to I like to wear colors that match the environment that I'm in, solid pants, solid uh, hoodie or, or shirt, and then just kind of lean right up against the tree. And I've never, like, I don't want to say never because things happen, but uh, I, I, I feel like I've gotten busted less wearing solid colors than I would if I was wearing camouflage, of like a full camouflage getup. Yeah, I... I just, I don't, I just don't believe. The, the other thing is, I don't think deer can see colors like we can see them. No. I think there's pretty scientific evidence that deer don't see the colors that we see like we see them. And I think there's pretty good evidence that deer don't see de- detail like we see it. Right. Like we can focus, you know, I'm looking right now out my window and I'm looking at the soybeans that the farmer has planted. And I can see like leaves. I don't think deer can see the detail like we can because right. they're, they're seeing like a whole bunch of different things that are in focus all at the same time. And our eyes are like predators where we can focus in on something and see the detail. Yeah. Deer, I don't believe deer can see that. Yeah. You know, going back to that, going back to that down jacket I have, it's black. And if it's cold, that's under a layer. But once it starts to warm up and I take a layer off, that's all I have on is that black down jacket. Yeah. So that's, I'm just, I'm, I have a black jacket on. Yeah, and if and if I happen to be wearing black pants for that day, that that's all I have. I'm I'm black. Yeah, in, so in the just, tree stand. I don't. Yeah, I just yeah. don't. I don't. You know, I think you're much better off worrying about how you're how you're moving around, and if you're brushed in, and if you have like cover behind you. That's the other thing. I just just to cover just to talk about that for a second. In a tree stand, I think it's much more efficient to have cover behind you in the form of like hanging cedar branches behind you or uh, just like big oak branches or something where you can cut them off from the ground and hang them behind you than it is to have them in front of you. Because I think that that movement, when there's nothing behind you, what they're seeing is not you. They're seeing the shape cutting in the sky, in the light. That's what they're seeing. Right. You, You see what I'm saying? Yep. Yep, I do. So it's just, it's, 
it's much more important to have the cover behind you so when you when you do move they're not seeing that that movement with the sky behind it because that's what they're going to pick up they're going to pick up that movement that movement um and and that's what i do so yeah i don't i mean that's a really long answer but that's i don't pay attention to camouflage at all yeah the thing is most of my stuff is camouflage because to get nice hunting stuff with the pockets where you want them and stuff like that it just seems like sometimes you're buying right camouflage because that's made for hunting right yeah but absolutely all right let's uh let's change it up a bit and let's talk about um do you prefer fixed blades or mechanicals and why i prefer (laughs) so going back a long time ago not being not being a like a bow archery kind of guy I found that when I switched to a fixed blade, I'm sorry, when I switched to a mechanical, and that was a NAP Spitfire. Yep, NAP. That, yep, that I've been, that my accuracy like quadrupled. Now, I know people will say that if you shoot a fixed blade, if your bow is tuned correctly and all this stuff, that it shoots just as good. And I don't doubt that at all, but that's not me. I'm, I don't sit there and tune every arrow and, and, knock tune and uh, insert tune and i just i don't do it i don't i don't enjoy it so if i'm shooting this snap spitfire and i'm not trying to make it sound like i don't care that my bow's not tuned because i actually think it is tuned very well but that nap spitfire has just never let me down i've been shooting it i just want to say about 20 25 years i've never had any kind of like stories where they don't open the blades don't open the penetration I get is phenomenal. I'm shooting 72 pounds, 31-inch uh, draw length. So it's, I'm not, you know, I'm shooting a really nice long arrow, and I, I just, I love those map Spitfires. The blood trails I get out of them are phenomenal. The pass-throughs I get are phenomenal. Um, I can break shoulders on, on, on deer, so that's just, I prefer it. Yeah. Now, on our Idaho hunt, we... You couldn't shoot them an expandable, right? So then the the uh, fixed blade I'm using now is the Stinger. So if I, you know, when I go to Iowa, Iowa, when I go to Idaho, um, I'm using the Stinger by uh, Magnus. Okay. So. Yeah, man, I I kind of bounce back and forth. It all it all depends on what some of my Western hunts are, right? So the years that I go elk hunting, I always like I use a fixed blade broadhead. Right. Um, and then I, I don't want to retune my arrows, uh, you know, my bow to, I guess, a, a mechanical after that hunt. I just want to continue shooting how I'm shooting and I'll, I'll ride that season out with a, with a fixed blade. Now this year I'm going mule deer hunting. And so I'm going to use a mechanical, it's a, you know, a smaller game. Uh, I got a somewhat of a heavy arrow, uh, and I'm, I'm shooting, you know, I, I'm not worried about penetration uh, with that with a heavier arrow in a, a mechanical broadhead. So I this year I'll shoot a mechanical. But anytime I uh, elk is in the picture, I'll I'll stick with a I'll stick with a fixed blade that entire year. This year I'm shooting the uh, Wasp Jackhammer, which is a, a three blade mechanical. And uh, dude, I, I I've killed more deer with that specific broadhead than any other broadheads combined. Yep, and I and I had some wasp uh, jackhammers 
Yeah. I've used them before only because I probably ran out of Spitfires and the archery shop had the wasp and I thought they were perfectly fine. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep, I didn't, it, that's a three, that's a three blade with like a chisel point, right? Uh, yes, I believe I God, I should have one sitting around here. I don't have one. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I think so. Yep. I, I, to me, it's, to me, I, I have some pretty strong opinions about uh, speed over like a heavy arrow. Right. And it, but to me, it's if you hit them in the right spot. So I like shooting a nice, uh, fast arrow. And I've just, on whitetail, I just love the Spitfire. So that's what I go with. I, it's one of them things where I've said this on your podcast before, Dan. If someone's doing something that's different than what I do, but it's working, well, then just why would you change? Mm hmm. So I've been using that Spitfire with a fast arrow and I've, I'm, it's just, it's not ever failed me. So why right. would I, why would I ever change after 25 years? I just, I would see no, no reason to do that. Yep. Uh, absolutely. Right. And I've seen some of the deer you kill. So keep doing what you're doing, my friend. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what, so we talked about broadheads. What arrows are you shooting? Uh, you can't get them anymore. I know that. Um, I, I can't even tell you. It's, uh, I don't know. I don't know off the top of my head. I are, could run downstairs and look at them, but no, that's fine. Don't worry. About, they're not, they're not yeah. like a, a popular brand, like a carbon express or a Easton. Are they? No, they're, it's not a, I actually think PSE made them at one time. And that's because when I got my bow, um, then it was specced out at the, at the, you know, from PSE to use these, you know, use these arrows. So gotcha. I think they were like a PSE brand at the time. And okay. now, same thing. I actually just been trying to get those because I don't want to change. Cause same thing. It's been working great for me. And the last batch I found, I actually got them on eBay and had them sent to me. And I ordered two dozen of them because that's all they had. So now I should be good unless I, you know, unless I lose some, but yeah. then I'll have to change. But yeah, I'm not same thing if you got something that works keep using it but i'm definitely not not into like something so much better than something else yeah absolutely so uh, we've kind of gone through a little bit of uh everything do you have a uh a, let me let, let's talk about scent control because before we started recording you mentioned you didn't you know i personally use an ozonics for in the field and um uh, to dry, you know, to do the the dry wash cycle at my house. You mentioned you don't use any ozone. Um, do, what's your what's your scent control regimen like? So I wash when, when I get close to uh, the hunting the season opener. I'll actually switch all of my laundry over. So because I'll wear my my underwear and stuff that I wear isn't hunting underwear. So some of the stuff that I'm wearing is, you know, quote unquote, my street clothes. It's the stuff I wear. Yeah. But I'll actually start washing my stuff separate in the laundry from anything that my wife would wash. And then I use like non, non-scented, non-dye, non-perfume uh, laundry soap or just uh, uh, baking soda. So I'll, I'll switch all, all of my stuff over just in case I pair, wear a pair of underwear. I don't want it smelling like lavender or something. Right. And then I'll wash all, you know, when I get really close to hunting season, all my clothes get washed in baking soda, but I don't, I don't even go out and buy like laundry, like hunting clothes soap. I just wash it all in baking soda. Okay. 
hanging out to dry. Uh, my boots are rubber boots, and I'll pull them out and let them sit outside. Because your boots, if you buy new boots, they stink for almost a year, like bad, yeah. like rubber, like industrial rubber or something. Uh, so, you know, get them out, have them sitting on your porch, let them get rained on, whatever. And then uh, every single day, or actually every single hunt, I'll shower before I hunt. And then anything that touches my skin gets changed out. I'll never wear it twice without washing it again. Really? And then, uh, yeah, so like all my base layers, uh, my baseball cap, I have probably a dozen pair of like cheap brown jersey gloves. And that's that's a single use, and then it goes through the wash again. Wow. Um, you're doing laundry yeah. a lot during the the busy season. Yeah, but it's only the not really because it's only the undergarment type stuff. So you okay. can that, that doesn't take up any room. You know what I mean? So you can you can go a week and then you're washing. Okay. You know, fifteen pairs of underwear or whatever, but who cares because it doesn't take up any room. Gotcha. Okay. And so those you, jersey, those yeah, those jersey gloves are what are they? Four dollars for a pack of ten or something at the hardware store. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's not like the only expensive stuff would be those base layers. But when it's warm out, I don't, I don't, that's a cold weather type thing. When it's warm out, I just have uh, either, well, I actually have long sleeve cotton is what I wear until it gets cold. So that takes me usually till what, early November at least. Right. Okay. Um, so yeah, I'm washing. And then the other, the other stuff, if I, if I feel like I had a hunt where I did a lot of sweating or whatever, you know, a long walk in or something, then I'll wash my middle and my outer layers. And then every, every hunt, when I come in all my outer layers and middle layers and everything that I'm not washing there, they hang, they hang in the, in the fresh air when I'm not wearing them. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Um, let's see here. Uh, so we've already talked about, I mean, are you wear rubber boots every hunt? Not every, but most. Most. And and that's because I, I wear, I love those boots. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's not, if I have a really, like, you talk about Western hunts, I, I never wear rubber boots on my Western hunts. I'm wearing, I mean, hell, there's times I'll wear tennis shoes if I have, if I know it's a long walk and it's, you know, if I know the ground, but it's more hiking type boots. Yeah. But whitetail hunting, I, I'd like to wear rubber boots as much as I can, um, just i don't know and it just for some reason I, i'm just thinking i'm leaving i'm leaving less scent out there if i'm walking in those rubber boots so yeah yeah makes a lot of sense well um let's see here do you have a a product that uh, maybe you were hesitant in buying i know we are we already talked a little bit about that down jacket but um do i, I want to talk about two options here one, a product that you were hesitant in buying and it turned out awesome. And then a product that you ended up buying because you were excited about it, but it ended up being garbage. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we can start with the garbage one. <laughs> Let's do it. I bought a, I bought a cell cam this year for that 300-acre lease that we were talking about earlier that I that I put hunters on. Yep. And it's 
it's quite a ways from where I live. So one of the things that that hunters want, especially if they're paying, is they want updates of deer that are on the farm. Uh, you know what what are the what what kind of pictures are you getting? Is, has the big one showed up yet? Is he daylight? So I'm having to go out and check this camera. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to get a cell camera because I'm I'm I mean that's another podcast, but I'm not I'm not necessarily big on cell cameras at least not yet okay so i bought one had it delivered to the house uh my options were limited because i have to have verizon the at&t models and stuff don't work i have to have verizon where this farm is and for three days i spent online on the chat and customer service on the phone three different calls couldn't make it work so finally Finally, well, we know what the problem is. This was like on a Friday. We know what the problem is, but you'll have to wait till Monday to get it fixed. And I'm like, no, I tell you what, give me an RA number because you're getting it. You're getting it sent back. And they didn't want to. They didn't want to do it, but they finally did. Yeah. So that was one of them where I was kind of excited to try out a new technology because I never had one before. And I'm like, yeah, I, now I know why I don't have them. Yeah. But that was a that was a complete flop. Yeah. And I think that's you make a really good point here. Is uh, I got a uh, I got a farm my my main farm that I hunt. It's all river bottom ground coming off of some pretty bit like some pretty steep bluffs, and uh, as far as the terrain change down to the river bottom ground, and I, there's no cell service down there, and that's where a lot of my activity, my big buck activity kind of is at. So uh, I think a lot of guys think that, hey, I'm going to buy this cell camera. I'm going to put it up and it's going to work. Well, it won't. It, it won't. Unless you can get, if you, unless you can make a call out of there, you're not getting, you're not going to be able to get a cell camera to work out of there. Uh, and in some instances, even very minimal cell service, like you can make a call, but it won't let you to, it won't send a picture from a cell cam right so um that's something that people need to be aware of when they you know like does the property that that i hunt uh have a uh you know does the property that i hunt have the ability to have good you know cell service and uh, that's something they need to check out before they do that well and then these guys too said well if it when it locks up you know all you have to do is go out there and hit this hit this SD card reset button. I'm like, well, why in the hell am I buying a cell camera? Absolutely. I have to go out every week and reset the SD card, et cetera. What is the point? Then I'm also just get a standard one and not pay for the, I just, I don't. Yeah. And the other thing, Dan, this is, this is just me, but a part of me, my whole life, I've always like put personal like checks on what I what I allow myself to do. And now there's probably people listening that are rolling their eyes thinking, oh yeah, this guy owns land and he's putting all these food plots in. And I, I get it. I, I, I get it. But if someone came along and they said, we will give you these cell cameras, we're going to give you 10 of them. And by the way, they come with a program that once you put these 10 out, they, they all talk to each other and, and all the pictures come into this program and they can identify deer. And, and once you run them for a month, they'll tell you exactly where the deer are and that to me that's too much that yeah. then what what am i doing at that point i'm not even hunting i'm just basically sitting where this camera's 
telling me to go. Now that's that's an example because we're not there yet, but it's gonna it's gonna be there. Uh, I promise you, the technology is gonna be there. I'll I'll tell you right now, or, the technology is here. It it is yeah. it is that kind of stuff is available. Um, now, not all combined into one cell camera, one program, but there is software out there with IA that can identify specific uh, traits in animals. Uh, so it's it's going to be no time at all till you know a big buck comes through, and they're going to be able to identify it by its antlers. You mix that with artificial intelligence. You know, that's already out there that can um, identify trends in weather and the best time to hunt based off of collared deer studies. That's already there. And we also have, um, you know, however many trail cameras, I, I think it's 24 at one time that can talk to each other. I, I think it's 24. I forgot. It's the Cuddy Link system. Anyway, they can all talk to each other and then send pictures directly to you. So it's going to be just as soon as you figure, as soon as they all figure this out on how to make all this stuff work, what you just said will happen. Yeah. And I, and I'm to the point where I don't, I'm not cutting that down, but I don't want that for myself. I just, I I don't want it. And you know, you talked about scent before I go through my regiment but I think, and again, this is just me. This is just this is me laying in bed thinking about this stuff, and it's not cutting down anybody that does something else. So I don't I don't want to make it sound like that. But for me, I look at it as that's that's more of a it's in my control. I'm going through these motions to make my scent be less. But again, if someone came along and said, "Here's this spray," and it's 100% guaranteed, you spray this stuff on, and then you pop this pill and you're hundred percent scent free. I, I don't want it. I just, I don't, I don't want that to me. Part of the hunt is a giant buck that I've been hunting gets downwind of me and busts me. That's, I want that in my hunting experience because that's to me, that's part of the enjoyment is playing the cat and the mouse. And how do I get in and how do I get out and how do I make sure that he doesn't get downwind? That's, that's why I do it. I don't do it so that I can have all this stuff so that I can guarantee to kill a deer. That, right. To me, that's that's not for me. Yeah. So I kind of try to, and that's this whole, the cell camera stuff. Five years from now, we might be talking, and I might have five of those, and I might love them. <laughs> but, but, but right now, it's it's more of a well, I can save a bunch of time, and the hunters that are over there, you know, want these updates, and I don't blame them. I just I'm not cutting that down at all. So I figure, well, let's go out and get one. But. uh yeah, I don't want to make it too easy for me. Yeah, it's just that's not that's not part of what I want to do. Yeah, and there's another uh, there's another thing that's going to be coming here pretty soon, and that's going to be the ability to, you know, obviously the cell cams are going to be there, sending pictures to you as real time as possible. But there's also going to be like surveillance mode, if I had to guess, coming where you can go to an app on your phone and you can live stream the. Uh, the cell cam to your phone and that way you can see what's on there right now what's coming uh if it's outside of the range or whatever and and, uh you can get like live stream video sent to your to your phone which would kind of be cool especially if you're the guy who's uh sitting in a cubicle or on a factory line you want to check your phone during break or something like that you can you can pull that up yeah it's 
I, I used to work with a guy that said, if you can think it, somebody's already doing it. Right. Absolutely. And I, and I think that's true. All the stuff we're brainstorming right now, there's there's people out there that they're already their engineers are working on this stuff and, and that's that's great. But Yeah. And, you know, and I used to and I used to shoot a bow that shot hundred and fifty feet per second and I don't anymore either. So I I just I do that self check and I just don't want it to take away you know, the last thing I would want to do is is have a a young hunter who, you know, ten years old and hey, will you take me hunting? And my my hunting experience that I provide them is well. What you do is you buy these cameras and you, <laughs> and you put these cameras out. You, you need know, two then, grand to know, get started. <laughs> I, you know, I want to, in my mind, you know, be a good hunter first. At least try to be a good hunter first, and right. good woodsmanship skills, and and then after that, you know, if you want to add some technology, you know, that's fine. That's just my opinion. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I'm just gonna, I always get, I, I get mad at this so much. I bought a Glendale buck target and, uh, every time I shot it, that I would get two arrows in it and it would start to fall apart. And then, in, uh, the third arrow would knock it over and I'd have to go put it back together. So finally I'm like drilling these long deck screws into it to try to get it to stay together. And finally those would, would wiggle out. And I got so pissed at that thing, I kicked it underneath of my deck, and then that's where it sat until I ended up throwing it away. But uh, that was a product, like, this is my first ever real-life deer, like, it's a deer target, right? It's this buck target, and I, I bought it, and uh, it underperformed for me big time. And I, I got very frustrated with it, and I kicked it, and then I put it under my deck. My deck. So... There's that. Um, now let's, let's close it down with a positive. What's uh what is a product that you have, uh, used that you were really surprised by and maybe it was either cheaper in price or it was something that you didn't expect to be awesome, but was awesome. Uh, well that down jacket, I know yeah. it sounds trivial, but I just, I love that thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it, come, come November, I will guarantee you that I, that'll be either on me or in my pack. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and that's just from a guy that wore, that wore cheap cotton, you know, flannel shirts, sweatshirts. And I got that down jacket for, like I said, 60 bucks or whatever it was. And it's like, holy cow, I'm actually thinking about getting a second just, just because. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I'll yeah, tell you what, been a, that was a good goodbye yeah mine is similar i bought this uh it's 100 percent merino wool thick big it's not like you can't really smush it down into a ball like you can that down but it's a, a really thick heavy uh merino wool sweater from ll bean and that is my go-to like if it's not cold out like if it is in that 20s uh, 20 degrees um, I might be wearing it but I'll but I bought it one size big so I can put my uh, Eddie Bauer uh, insulation layer underneath of it but that thing yeah. comes with me on my western hunts uh, it, it's not light but it comes with me on my western hunts it comes with me on my um, 
on all of my tree stand hunts and it is it's the last layer i put on and the first one i take off when uh it gets too warm so uh, i absolutely love it and again that's solid brown no flare on that and it it just does a really good job of regulating body temperature yeah you said ll bean yep so between between eddie bauer and ll bean they have some really good deals on like merino wool socks and yeah. base layers yep uh down down like what i would call like a mid layer between those two i think that's where i got all of my that stuff my mid layers my base layers those are two good places to look and they always have like clearance stuff and yeah that's that's good stuff yeah excellent point you know? Well, I tell you what, uh, Tom, man, I really appreciate you hopping on and BSing with me about gear for a little bit. Um, good luck this upcoming season, man, and shoot straight. Hey, you got another minute for me. Yes. I was hoping we would cover um, calls. Calls, yes. Let's t- let's talk re- about the, it. The reason why I was ho- the reason why I was hoping we would cover is because I have never in my life had a good grunt call. I've had grunt calls. But I've never had a good one. Seems like they're always uh, not loud enough, or the reed is freezing up, or yep. they fall apart. Or so, do you have something? Do you have a recommendation, dude, or something you like? I have never been more upset with something walking out of the woods one day, or uh, actually before an, an evening hunt. Oh, this was. I had this grunt tube for twelve years, at least. And it was the most realistic sounding grunt tube I had ever, you know, I'd ever heard. I mean, still to this day, this black tube, it was all rubber. I mean, it sounded like the real thing. I could do things with that call. You know, you get, you you get a buck who's kind of walking away from me and you hit him with a one and then that, that call, man, it, it just turned him every time. Just, I don't know. So I'm walking out of the woods one day, uh, tear down pack up, walk away, and I can't find it anymore. And I'm just like, what is going on? What is going on here? I can't find this. I can't find this, uh, this call. And I started getting mad because it, it was like, it was the best sounding grunt tube I've ever used. And I, I think I bought it for like five bucks, however many years ago before I lost it. So then I lost it. And then, and so I had to go to, uh, Gander mountain and I literally opened up like 10 different grunt tubes and I was going through every single one of them, trying to blow into them, making it sound right. Like this one kid, poor guy, uh, came up to me. He's like, I don't think you can open those packages and and do this. And I'm like, listen, man, uh, I'm gonna, I'm like, I'm gonna do this. And he's like, okay, man, whatever. And he turned around and walked away. So, um, the closest thing that I could find to that, um, and it is some bone collector uh, grunt tube. And all I know, it's a, it looks like a deer antler on the front end, and then the back end is uh, like a, a plastic, uh, a plastic uh, piece. But the, the, the part that looks like a deer antler is rubber, so you can like squeeze it and manipulate it a little bit. And, uh, that is the one I use now because I lost the best one I've ever had. So that one, it still doesn't sound like the other one does, but it sounds closest 
to what the other one does. Okay. So why uh, do you do you so you were just ultra critical about your grunt tubes? No, they just they none of them sound good. Yeah. It just I don't and then to get them to get them where they're like louder if you have a deer that's 100 yards away and there's a little bit of wind to get them to be a little louder then they like squeak yep. or they'll like yep. start to sound like a duck call you know yep. and I've had problems with the rid, the uh, reed getting like uh, moisture on them so then when you so then when you have a buck that's close and you maybe want to stop them and get them to turn or something the reed is sticking because there's like uh, yep. condensation on it yep so the, when it starts, it'll go, you know, before it'll break. And it's just, I've had nothing but problems with them. Yeah. It's almost like so I've... I just, I didn't know. Yeah. I've kept them under my coat so they collect heat so they don't freeze over like that. Or I before I use them, I'll just breathe in, breathe the, my hot air into them, which is then just a repeating issue because you, in order to get that thing to sound right, you have to breathe into it. Uh, to warm it up, and then you blow it. So if you see a deer kind of yeah. hustle, hustling through, I don't know. It it just kind of it, it sucks all around. Yeah, I'm not losing any sleep over, but I thought maybe you had like a really solid go-to or something yeah. because I don't. Yeah, I don't, uh, of I don't all have of them, one thing I'd like to offer. Yeah, of all of them, I would. I guess I would recommend it. It sounds the most like the one that uh, that I had. So uh, it's a bone collector, and I think it's uh, it's a grunt tube snort wheeze mix. So you can, I guess if I, I usually make a snort wheeze with my mouth and hands, uh, but this has a little snort yeah. wheeze tube on it too. It's like a secondary thing. Okay. So, yep. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Take a look at that. All right, man. Anything else? No, that's all I got. All right, man. Well, once again, thank you very much for your time and. Uh, Good luck this season. Yeah, you too. Looking forward to it.